0: There's a lot of information and misinformation out there about the idea of PCOS types. So I wanted to bust some myths and share with you what's actually real and what's not when it comes to PCOS types. In this episode, our PCOS types BS, we will cover what the actual PCOS types are, what you may have read online, some types that aren't types at all, and what to pay attention to instead. Let's dive in. Welcome to Hormonally Yours with The Hormone Dietitian. If you're a busy woman struggling with hormonal issues like PCOS, fertility struggles, and other hormone imbalances, and you feel like you're the boss of your life in every area but your hormones, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Melissa Groves-Azzaro, integrative women's health dietitian, coffee lover, cat lady, all black wearing, former New York City advertising exec turned professional period fairy. It's my mission to be the no BS, hormone nutrition education resource for smart women struggling with hormone imbalances so you can have regular symptom-free periods and optimize your fertility naturally. I'm here to share real, actionable, science-based tips you can use to get real results without cutting out foods, spending hours in the gym or meal prepping, and without losing sleep, because we're all about balance here at The Hormone Dietitian. And I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. You may have heard that there are several types of PCOS. But what you may not know is that there are actual several categorization systems of polycystic ovary syndrome. More importantly, you may also be wondering about how to find out what type of PCOS you have and of course, what to actually do about it. So I'm going to start this off by saying, yes, there are types of PCOS, but they may not be the types you're thinking of if you're following any women's health accounts on social media. According to conventional medicine, there are four phenotypes or characteristic patterns of PCOS. Type A has high androgens and irregular periods or no period and polycystic ovaries. So all three of the Rotterdam criteria. Type B has high androgens and irregular periods or no period. Type C has high androgens and polycystic ovaries. And type D has irregular periods or no periods and polycystic ovaries, but normal androgen levels. So out of all of these, type A is considered the most severe and is the most typical presentation that is seen with PCOS. It's generally referred to as full-blown PCOS or frank PCOS. On the other end of the spectrum, type D is considered the mildest form. So how does it all break down by percentages? Well, in one study of 100 women with PCOS, the participants were categorized by type. In this study, 66% had type A or frank PCOS, 9% had type B or non-polycystic ovaries PCOS, 13% had type C or ovulatory PCOS, and 11% had type D or normal androgen levels PCOS. There was another study I found that looked at the efficacy of Clomid, which is a fertility medication based on PCOS phenotype. And in that study, the participants were categorized as 67.7% type A, 11% type B, 17.7% type C, and 3.6% type D. So pretty consistent with the other study with type A being the most common and type D being the least common. Both studies as well as other studies have shown that cardiometabolic risks are higher in type A. In one of the two studies, type A had higher weight, body mass index, higher levels of androgens, irregular menstrual cycles, ovarian reserves, fasting insulin, HOMA-IR, which is a measure of insulin resistance, and more abnormal cholesterol levels compared to the other groups. The other study showed that women had PCOS without high androgens didn't seem to have many of these same metabolic risks. It is possible also to move from one category to another with treatment, diet, and lifestyle changes. You know, for example, if you're diagnosed and you have all three criteria, so you have those high androgens, you have irregular cycles, and you have polycystic ovaries, but then you work on your nutrition and your lifestyle and you follow up after six months or a year, you may find that you've moved down to a different category or completely reversed the clinical appearance of PCOS where you no longer fit into any of these four categories. However, PCOS doesn't Ever go away. The way I explain it is that, you know, even though you may now appear normal on labs after, you know, doing this nutrition and lifestyle work, the tendency is still going to be there for you. So if for whatever reason you stop working on all of the nutrition and lifestyle things that you're working on, those symptoms and markers are just going to come back. According to conventional medicine, that's it that's the types, which is why your doctor might give you a funny look if you ask them what type of PCOS you have. Functional medicine approaches things a little bit differently and has a different categorization system for PCOS. There's four functional medicine types that you might see talked about on social media or in books about PCOS. The first type is insulin-resistant PCOS, uh, which is dominated by symptoms like high blood sugar, darkened skin around your neck and armpits, carbs and sugar cravings, and weight gain. The second type is inflammatory PCOS. This is dominated by symptoms of chronic inflammation like acne and skin rashes, fatigue, joint pain, gut issues, and weight gain. The third type is adrenal PCOS, where the primary androgen that is high is DHEA, which is made primarily by your adrenal glands in contrast to testosterone, which is made primarily by the ovaries. And finally, the fourth type is post-pill PCOS, which is seen in women who had normal periods before going on the pill, but then experience symptoms of PCOS after coming off the pill. In my practice, I don't strictly classify PCOS by these types because I find that very few women fit very neatly into just one of these subtypes. I very typically see a combination of insulin resistance, inflammation, and adrenal dysfunction, for example. Extremely occasionally, I may come across a case of what's usually lean PCOS or someone who has PCOS and normal or underweight body weight where it's 100% adrenal driven, but even that is rare. What I more typically see in lean PCOS is high adrenal hormones in combination with inflammation, which is often being driven by gut issues. So, the whole idea of these types of PCOS is really an oversimplification of what's happening. I especially love when I see things like take this quiz to find out your PCOS type, and then it doesn't matter what results you get, the answer or the solution is always the same. Follow this one-size-fits-all restrictive diet for all four types, no matter which type you have. (laughs) Um, Like, Please tell me how that makes sense. All of the types should get treated exactly the same. Like, What did you even bother asking me for? Yeah, absolutely not. And just a quick note, there's a lot of misinformation out there too. You always want to look at the credentials of the person where you are getting your health information from. I have seen posts out there talking about hypothyroid as a PCOS type, for example, definitely seen it on Pinterest as well as on Instagram. And this is just not true. Uh, Yes, people with PCOS are at a higher risk for clinical or subclinical hypothyroidism, which is low thyroid hormones, as well as the autoimmune condition, Hashimoto's, thyroiditis. But these conditions occur alongside the PCOS. They are not the cause of PCOS. So if your irregular cycles are being caused only by low thyroid hormones, that is not in line with a PCOS diagnosis. Although I have seen many people misdiagnosed with PCOS when it's really actually a thyroid issue. I did wanna talk a little bit about a recent study that proposed a new categorization of PCOS based on genetic markers or mutation. This study was by Dapis et al and was published in PLOS One in June, 2020. That just like occurred to me that that was not all that recent. That was more than a year ago. This whole whole past year has been such a blur. Uh, Anyway, uh, in the study, the researchers were able to categorize women with PCOS into different subtypes based on certain genetic markers. The groups that they came up with were the reproductive group. And in this group, they had higher LH, which is luteinizing hormone, higher SHBG, which is sex hormone binding globulin, lower BMI or weight, and lower insulin. The second group was the metabolic group. This group had a higher BMI, higher glucose and insulin levels, and lower LH and SHBG. And then finally, the third group was the indeterminate group where they didn't quite fit neatly into either of the two groups. This research was really, you know, among the first of its kind showing that there are distinct types of PCOS. In the future, hopefully research like this will lead to a more individualized treatment approach and recommendations based on subtypes. So how do you identify what type of PCOS you have? Again, I don't focus too much on these types of PCOS because I see such an overlap. Instead, what I focus on is identifying and addressing the root causes or drivers of your PCOS symptoms. And just as a reminder, the root causes or drivers of PCOS symptoms are generally categorized or I categorize them as insulin resistance, inflammation, hormone imbalances, and gut imbalances. So let's talk about all of these in a little bit more detail. Root cause number one is insulin resistance. Insulin resistance is one of the main drivers of PCOS. And it's estimated that up to 95% of women who have PCOS and are overweight or obese have insulin resistance. And that up to 75% of women with lean or normal weight PCOS have insulin resistance. Insulin is the hormone that tells your cells to take in sugars from your bloodstream. You know, think of it like the key that unlocks the door to your cells to let that glucose in. So normally, you know, your cells respond to the insulin, they take in the glucose, which gives them the energy that they need to do their jobs. I mean, it's it's more complicated than that, but it's basically how our cells turn glucose into ATP, which is the form of energy that our cells use. And as a result, the glucose that's in your blood goes down. But what happens with insulin resistance is that the cells start to ignore that signal from the insulin and they don't take in the glucose as they should. And then as a result, what's happening is your cells are low in glucose or energy and they're literally starving. And in the meantime, your blood sugar keeps going up and up. So your cells are literally starving even though there's plenty of glucose available in the blood. This is what leads to those killer carb cravings and sugar cravings because your cells are screaming at your brain like, hey, we need energy, give us some sugar, like, right now. So insulin resistance can lead to weight gain, irregular periods, and if left unchecked, a higher risk for type 2 diabetes. And with PCOS, insulin resistance can also worsen those high androgen levels. High insulin tells your ovaries to make more testosterone which leads to more symptoms from testosterone. And at the same time, high insulin actually tells your liver to make less sex hormone binding globulin and sex hormone binding globulin does exactly what it sounds like it does. It binds onto free testosterone so that there's less of it available to roam around your body causing symptoms. Hey there. So before we get back to the rest of the episode, I just wanted to pop in real quick and tell you about a new workshop I've put together called PCOS Meal Prep Made Easy. If you're like most folks I hear from, you're confused and overwhelmed by all the conflicting info out there about what to actually eat with PCOS. And you may feel like you don't even know where to start. In this hour-long workshop, I break down what foods you want to include for PCOS and what you might want to consider avoiding or minimizing. And I share my simple three-step formula for planning meals with PCOS. The best part is it does not involve spending hours in the kitchen. Yes, you can absolutely incorporate this formula while cooking at home, but what's really great is that you can apply it no matter where you are in a restaurant, getting takeout, at a family meal, or even while traveling. Head over to thehormonedietitian.com forward slash easy PCOS, all one word, to sign up now. Signing up is your first step to finally understanding how to eat to manage PCOS. All right, cool, I'll see you there. Let's get back to the episode. One of the problems I see is that conventional doctors are rarely checking insulin levels, even though we have data to show that insulin levels can start rising a full decade before your blood sugar and hemoglobin A1C start to go up on lab tests. The second root cause is inflammation. Inflammation is another major root cause of PCOS symptoms. So what exactly is inflammation? Inflammation is the release of inflammatory compounds like cytokines and others that can trigger an inflammatory response in the body. Inflammation can come from many places like the gut, a chronic injury, et cetera. Even healthy activities like exercise can trigger inflammation. Inflammation is actually a good thing. When there's an injury or an infection, we want there to be inflammation to bring the nutrients and the resources to that area that are needed to get rid of the problem. But with chronic inflammation, like what's seen with PCOS, inflammation and PCOS turn into this sort of vicious cycle. High blood sugar and overweight and obesity can all make inflammation worse. And then on the other hand, inflammation makes it harder to lose weight and increases the risk for insulin resistance. So all of this is happening at the same time. The good news is uh, we can combat inflammation with an anti-inflammatory diet and lifestyle changes. And no, it doesn't mean having to cut foods out of your diet usually. The third cause that I see with PCOS is hormone imbalances. So we all know that androgens play a big role in PCOS symptoms, but did you know that other hormones can be imbalanced as well? Hormone imbalances are one of the major PCOS root causes for most women with a condition. Testosterone, which is coming mainly from the ovaries, can be high DHEA is another androgen that comes, you know, mainly from the adrenals. The bad news is that DHEA really comes from stress, something that most women have too much of in our lives. However, genetic factors also seem to, you know, play a role in high DHEA in some women. This in turn can cause the symptoms associated with PCOS like weight gain, hair loss, body and facial hair and fertility problems. DHT is another androgen that is even more potent than testosterone. You know, we can really make it from any testosterone or DHEA. And DHT is actually activated in skin cells and hair follicles, uh, which leads to those symptoms we think of with PCOS, like acne, male pattern, hair loss, and hirsutism. So the first step in determining, you know, is really determining which of your androgens are high, if high androgens are part of your PCOS problem, you know, figuring out where those androgens are coming from. If it's the ovaries, then usually working on insulin resistance is key because that's driving that increased production of ovarian testosterone. If it's the adrenals, on the other hand, it can be more of a matter of stress reduction and other lifestyle changes. But with PCOS, androgens aren't the only hormones to worry about estrogen can be high or low. Uh, Progesterone is usually low in comparison to estrogen because you only make progesterone when you ovulate. And most people with PCOS don't ovulate regularly, which means that the majority of the time your body is being exposed to estrogen in the absence of progesterone to balance it out. And then beyond the sex hormones, Cortisol, which is an adrenal hormone, can be high or low. Thyroid hormones can be high or low. I always you know, try to tell people that just remember that because you have an androgen imbalance, it doesn't mean that you don't also have other hormone imbalances. When I see people struggling with symptoms that really can't be attributed to PCOS, it's always good to kind of keep digging to get to the root cause. And finally, the fourth thing that I look at when it comes to PCOS is gut imbalances. You know, you may be surprised to learn that gut imbalances can play such a role in PCOS. And we're really just at the very beginning of understanding how our gut and the millions of microbes that live in there, you know, which are collectively referred to as the microbiome are related to a condition like PCOS. There have been some recent studies and there's a lot, a lot of research going on on the microbiome. But in PCOS, there have been studies showing that people with PCOS have Less diversity in their microbiome. So they have less types of good bacteria in there. We don't even know what we don't know about the microbiome yet, but we do know that the types of organisms that are present there can help regulate our blood sugar balance, our metabolism, and our weight inflammation, digestion and absorption, and even our mood. So your gut microbiome could very well be contributing to your PCOS symptoms and making them worse. And I see this even if you're not struggling with kind of overt gut symptoms, which are also common in PCOS, such as constipation, loose stools, IBS or IBD, heartburn, GERD, and gallbladder issues. But even without symptoms of gut issues, we still can see that imbalance in gut bacteria. So, testing can help you determine which root causes are problems for you. Typically, looking at things like fasting glucose, fasting insulin, uh, the HOMA IR uh, to measure where you are on that insulin resistance scale. I look at HSCRP for inflammation levels, hormone testing, thorough hormone testing, and then Uh, Gut testing may be something else you want to consider, especially if you are struggling with some of those more common GI symptoms. I do want to note that root causes are different for everybody. Different combinations of these root causes can be causing the symptoms that make up your own particular experience with PCOS. Remember, PCOS is a syndrome. So it's a collection of symptoms and it it looks different for everybody. And then treatment approaches using nutrition, lifestyle, or targeted supplements are gonna be different depending on what your root causes are. Someone who has a very typical insulin resistance driven high inflammation you know gut imbalances type of PCOS their treatment plan is going to look very different from someone who has lean adrenal based PCOS and you know remember that most women have more than one root cause underlying their symptoms so because everyone's root causes are different and can occur in different combinations, it's best to work with a professional who can help you identify and treat your root causes. There really is no one size fits all when it comes to PCOS, which is why I'm always speaking out about, you know, the quote unquote PCOS experts who, you know, the the materials they put out are very much I have PCOS. I did X Y and Z and I feel better so you should also do X Y and Z. A healthcare practitioner, you know, is going to have experience with all of the types of PCOS and be able to determine, you know, which of the strategies might be more beneficial for you and on the other hand which strategies might be harmful for you as well. So I did want to talk a little bit about the approach I use in my practice to address the root causes of PCOS. My six-step method to PCOS success, which is my proprietary method in my course and what I use with my clients, step number one, balance your blood sugar. And we'll talk about this in future episodes for sure. Step number two, lower inflammation. Step number three, address those gut imbalances. Step number four, balance hormones, because you can't have balanced hormones if your gut's not working. Step five, we then, you know, once we're starting to get lab tests in, we customize the plan based on those lab results, but also on your needs, your goals, what your lifestyle looks like, your cultural background, your preferences. You know, we really customize a plan that's going to work for you. And then finally, the sixth step is making it sustainable for long-term success. PCOS is a lifelong condition. So any changes that you implement have to be something that you can stick with for a lifetime. And the way that we do this in my practice is by approaching it from four different angles. Number one is nutrition. Number two is lifestyle, which can encompass sleep, stress, exercise, and environmental toxins. Step number three is supplements. And the fourth angle is testing. So, you might be surprised to learn from a dietitian that it's not just about the food. Uh, an integrative approach incorporates all areas of a person's life. It's really a holistic approach to healing, and all four areas are key to your success. In my experience, a person can eat the healthiest diet in the world. But if they aren't addressing those other areas, they're not going to get very far. So when I'm working with clients or I'm teaching students in my course or my programs, all of my recommendations fall into one of these four categories. So one question you might have is, is it possible to not have a type? And unfortunately, You know, misdiagnosis is not uncommon. In my practice, I see a lot of women who turn out not to have PCOS at all, even if they have gone to a fancy fertility clinic and spent a lot of money to get that diagnosis. For example, if you've recently gone off the pill and all of your hormone levels are low, and I'm referring to things like LH, FSH, estradiol, testosterone, et cetera then you might actually have hypothalamic amenorrhea rather than PCOS. Because ovaries can look polycystic after going off the pill, you might be misdiagnosed with PCOS if you were diagnosed shortly after going off the pill. You know, however, if you don't have any of the classic symptoms of PCOS like acne or facial hair, you might want to, you know, keep digging and pursue further testing to get an accurate diagnosis. Similarly, hypothyroid can cause irregular cycles and the absence of ovulation and periods. So if your androgens aren't high and you don't have any cysts on your ovaries, you should never receive the PCOS diagnosis because you don't meet the Rotterdam criteria. So really, you know, you want to do that deeper digging to keep, you know, trying to find the root cause of your missing periods. So some key takeaways from this week's episode, you know, rarely does someone fit neatly into just one category. Uh, Really, the idea of PCOS types is a vast oversimplification of what's happening. Instead, most women have a combination of root causes that need to be addressed in order to manage their PCOS in an individualized and balanced manner. So in conclusion, the best way to find out what types of PCOS you have and what to do about it is to work with a credentialed practitioner who specializes in PCOS and who can guide you on every step of that journey. I did wanna give a quick mention of my six-week self-study program the PCOS Root Cause Roadmap, which I mentioned before. This is a course where I help you to identify and learn how to address your root causes of PCOS. If you go to thehormonedietician.com forward slash PCOS course, uh, you can learn more about it, or you can also sign up for my free masterclass there. The masterclass is called PCOS period success. And I go more into my framework and how I approach PCOS there. Uh, Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. See you next time. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could open up the podcast app you're probably using to listen to this episode right now and leave a quick rating or review. Your reviews help this podcast get seen by more women who could benefit from the information I share here. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, stay balanced.